Well, you know what? There's not a lot going on. We haven't said that for a long time, have we? There's always something going on, but it really is central bank speak that's driving markets right now. No big news from Friday, and not much happening this week apart from the RBNZ middle of the week, but otherwise, chill out, have some Thanksgiving turkey, and enjoy a few days when things are going to be a little quieter than usual. Of course, that could be famous last words. It's Monday, the 21st of November, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, Treasury yields pushed higher, up six basis points on Friday. UK gilts were up four basis points. Otherwise, uh, not any big moves on 10-year yields anywhere, really, to speak of. And at 3.83%, 10-year Treasuries are just about where they were a week ago. So even though they moved on Friday, they're not moved over seven days. But over that time, we did see two-year yields up 20 basis points. So that is where the movement is. In Oz, uh, a bit of movement the other way. 10 years pretty flat on Friday, but three years down down two basis points. Uh, not much movement in equities. The S&P and Dow up uh, 0.5 and 0.6% respectively on Friday. The Nasdaq closed flat. The Eurostoxx 50 was up 1.2%. So is the DAX and almost as much for the CAC Caront. The US dollar climbed a little higher on Friday, up almost a quarter percent on the DXY, but only a little under 0.6% up on the entire week. But it is still climbing. Against that, the Aussie dollar lost 0.2% on Friday and 0.45% over the week, finishing at 66 0.7 US cents. Also on Friday, a 0.4% drop in the euro, a 0.2% gain in the pound, and a 0.4% rise in the Kiwi dollar. And oil was down again on Friday. WTI losing 1.9%. We'll talk about this today. Brent down 2.4% at 87.62 a barrel and getting down to 85.80 in Friday's session. So we're down to levels that we were seeing in late September. Uh, so generally, though, not a lot of movement on Friday, but there again, not a lot happened on Friday. So uh, th- th- this is going to be an exciting episode, isn't it? Because there's not a lot happening this week either, uh, apart, apart from the, the RBNZ meeting. Uh, but look, here's NAB's Tapa Strickland in Sydney to uh, hopefully liven things up this morning. I guess, you know, the, the the real movement, if we're you know looking at where there was movement on Friday, it was the front end of the yield curve in the US, wasn't it? Because that 210 spread now from uh, 4.51% to 3.83%. So that's um, minus 68 points. I think it got to 70. So this is the biggest spread in 40 years. So what can we read from that, Tapas? Uh, good morning, Phil. Yes, that uh, 210's yield um, curves now, I think at minus 71 right, basis okay. points. And mm. as you're saying, it's the most negative in over 40 years. And historically, an inverted yield curve has been a fairly good indicator of a US recession. And just worth noting, most analysts have been calling for a US recession since the beginning yeah. of the year, either starting uh, towards the end of this year or into early next year. And I think it just plays uh, into that view. And I guess one way you can uh, view that is when you actually look at Fed funds pricing. Um, so uh, the peak in the US Fed funds rate is expected to be 5.07% by the middle of next year. But then in the rest of 2023, there's expected to be 41 basis points worth of cuts. Um, mm. So that is saying that markets are buying the view that the Fed is going to lift rates fairly aggressively towards that kind of 5% level, which is what most Fed officials have been guiding towards. But then I think people are a little bit split in terms of how the Fed will react to weaker economic data. And most economists do expect the US uh, economy to go into a mild recession in the uh, by the middle of next year. Uh, and if that occurs, um, then does the Fed start to cut rates? And importantly, that's going to be all concentrated on whether the inflationary pressures are easing and whether we're heading back towards 2% inflation yeah. or, or not. So have they got the balls to carry through what they're saying they're going to say, isn't it, really? It gets down to it. And it's going to be interesting to see 
over the next couple of weeks, perhaps, what happens with the retail sector. You know, if, if Black Friday doesn't perform, will Christmas be a washout? Because we are getting uh, warnings from retailers in the US that their forward projections aren't looking too good. And yet still, most Fed speakers are sounding as hawkish as ever, you know. And yet, surely, you know, if we if we stop going shopping and demands, demand drops, that's that's when inflation comes down, presumably. Presumably it should. And those kind of anecdotes of weaker household consumption have been surfacing all throughout 2022, but they've really failed mm. to materialize in the actual hard data. And so actually the consumer in terms of what's actually being recorded um, has been very, very resilient to date. So um, I think those yeah. anecdotes around Black Friday and Cyber Monday are going to be looked at quite closely just to see how responsive the consumer is to tighter financial conditions and just worth reiterating that the unemployment rate in the US is still at extraordinarily low levels so you haven't really seen too much of a deterioration in the labour market yet and maybe you do need to see greater deterioration in order to have a hit on household spending but in terms of what Fed speakers uh, noted on Friday um, uh, Boston Fed President uh, Collins uh, seemingly kept in play a 75 basis point hike for December although it looks like most Fed officials are kind of rounding around that kind of 50 basis point view and that's pretty much what's priced by markets at the moment but I thought the most interesting remarks were actually from Atlanta Fed President Bostic on Saturday so this was after the market closed of course yeah. um, and he was saying he a said, bit, more, bit more dovish yes well, actually it's kind of mixed and I'll tell you for two reasons so the first one is he, he believes that the Fed only needs to hike by another 75 to 100 basis points so getting close to that kind of 5% level and he thinks that's mm. enough to reduce inflationary pressures in the economy but he made two other important points he said if that turns out it's not sufficiently restrictive to rein in inflation then he's happy to do more so i think that's the first point to make and then the second one is um and this goes back to the market pricing in cuts in the second half of 23 um on the other hand if economic conditions weaken appreciably for example if unemployment rises uncomfortably it will be important to resist and i'll just repeat the word resist the temptation to react by reversing our policy course until it is clear that inflation is well on track to return to our longer run target of two percent um so i think there is going to be a little bit of pull and tug of war within markets about the Fed's response to a high unemployment rate. And of course, um, they really haven't seen that to date. So um, it'll be interesting to see as 23 unfolds, if uh, the US economy does go into a mild recession, if the unemployment rate rises. But if for whatever reason, inflation while coming down doesn't look like it's going to settle towards 2%. Does the Fed keep rates at relatively restrictive levels for longer? And, yeah. um, and, and does that mean they, they then want to see the unemployment rate go even higher? I yes. mean, that's because if, if, if he's just trying to balance, you know, supply and demand, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a wide gap that they're trying to bridge. I mean, it, that, that would imply that they do have to go much further, wouldn't it? But, but, but it would be devastating for the economy if they did that. It, it would. And uh, one key uh, speech that I'll be looking quite close for in the next few weeks is uh, Chair Powell is speaking on the economic outlook and the U.S. labor market at Brookings on the November 30. And uh, if you recall, uh, his Jackson Hole speech was completely rewritten to ma- make a massive pushback in terms of the risk rally that we did see in markets uh, in the lead up to Jackson Hole. And uh, I think a lot of people are looking at that speech to see whether he will push back against what we have seen in markets, particularly the equity market, which has rallied uh, quite quite strongly uh, following the softer than expected CPI figures. Yeah, 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 exactly. Despite everything, well, and you know, on that that whole resilience thing, you look at uh, the, the UK, which is supposedly you know now we were led to believe into it started its two years of recession. 
but retail sales sort of came bouncing back, didn't they, in, in October? If you take out fuel uh, month on month, up 0.3%. It was a 1.5% drop the month before. I mean, 6.7% X fuel year on year, which sounds quite like quite a lot. But, uh, you know, a pretty good month, despite everything. Yes, and I think there's two things just worth reiterating here. So for many people this Christmas, and this especially in an Australian and New Zealand context, this will be the first mm. Christmas that's free of COVID and people can meet and greet each other again. Um, so it yeah. is quite possible you actually get very resilient consumer spending uh, into the end of the year. And then how do central banks react to that if they do still expect activity to weaken uh, into early next year? Um, and then the second one is households are still sitting on fairly substantial financial buffers and of course those buffers are more geared towards the top end of the income distribution than the lower end but that still does provide a bit of scope for households to buttress the amount of spending that they are doing and in europe well i mean a bit slow to the game in terms of uh, lifting interest rates and fighting inflation and we we saw last week didn't we that they've gone well into double digits now in, in inflation christine lagarde sounding very hawkish on friday more policy tightening on the way but maybe not just rate hikes uh, she she also talked about uh, you know bringing down the balance sheet a bit more as well, selling off more bonds. So, but the expectation is still, I think, isn't it, fifty or seventy five for the hikes for December. Oh, yes, that's right. And there was one Bloomberg report saying momentum is lacking for another aggressive 75 basis point hike next month. So it looks like officials are kind of rounding towards that kind of 50 basis point hike, assuming inflation isn't another blockbuster print. Um, The other interesting one is what you're saying about QT. And uh, there was one ECB official not who's saying that sooner QT begins, the lower the peak in inflation is likely to be and the lower we'll have to lift rates by. Um, So um, maybe there will be a little bit more talk about QT at the uh, upcoming ECB meeting. Um, And also we get the ECB minutes for the previous meeting uh, this week. So I think that will be also looked at closely for any references to uh, the possibility of QT. Yeah, interesting that uh, two-year yields in Germany down about 10 basis points last week while you know we talked about in the United States they are are going the other way. So that sort of gives an... uh, some sort of in, in indication of what the expectations are, surely. It does, but I think that also with that, there was um, the ECB uh, TLTRO, the um, first uh, repayment window, uh, came in lower than expected at uh, 296 billion euros against 600 billion expected. And many people thought those TLTROs were being used to basically buy up peripheral sovereign uh, debt there. So that smaller than expected repayment implies less effective liquidation of sovereign bonds. So that probably kept a lid in terms of uh, yields in the European markets, uh, even though you had that hawkish ECB talk. Well, let's look at somewhere where inflation is less of a problem. But it's it's going up there. Japan, their inflation rate, 40-year high. Uh, 3.7% is the headline rate. That's a 40-year high. Well, that's up from 3% the month before. This is year on year. Uh, but still, uh, Governor Kuroda isn't budging. I mean, these are not big numbers. I mean, they're higher than, obviously, the BOJ wants it to be. But, uh, you know, comparative with the rest of the world, these are low numbers. Yes, so Japan still remains to be a bit of an outlier in terms of inflation. As you noted, that core measure, the uh, fresh food, exclu- um, sorry, excluding fresh food and energy, was up 2.5% year on year. So not, yeah. not huge in terms of uh, shooting towards the upside of that 2% target. Um, the two lessons that we do have in Australia, though, is uh, once inflation gets started, it can lift uh, relatively quickly. Uh, and the other one is, is you don't necessarily need to see wages lift in order to see inflation lift and stay higher for 
a while. Um, so that's the two bits of caution that I'll um, have, have on, on Japan. Um, and uh, mm. a lot of people are viewing that kind of uh, YCC policy as being really reevaluated once Mr. Kuroda does leave. Uh, I think it's April next year. Right. Okay. Well, this is going to last till then. Look, uh, oil down again. And this is uh, in part, isn't it, because of China's continued obsession with zero COVID, presumably. I mean, that, that there was a story that a man died over the weekend. This is one man died from COVID. He was 87. I mean, it's all a bit of an overreaction, isn't it? But so long as they've got that attitude, uh, we, we're still going to have this this problem that uh, supply chains from, from China are fundamentally broken. Oh, yes. And uh, just in terms of the impacts on the crude market there, I think uh, the Brent oil price uh, fell 2.5% on Friday, and it's down 8.7% over the past week. And WTI is down by more than 10% over the past week. So it's a pretty hefty move in terms of the oil market. And uh, I think the two factors um, really was, as you noted, the China zero COVID thing. And we'll talk about that in a second. But also, um, there was reduced capacity at some oil pipelines within the US. So effectively, you have additional supply relative to what you can actually um, consume or carry on those those pipelines. And so that's part of the reason, at least for the bigger falls in the near-term contracts for WPI, WTI. Uh, but in terms of China's zero COVID policy, um, they had been uh, sending up the flagpole um, some tentative signs of easing. Um, and I think the this death of this 87-year-old man in Beijing has to be seen in the context of that, um, especially given China's low vaccination rate for those people who are aged over 80. I think only 66% of those aged over 80 are fully vaccinated and only 40% have gotten a booster, which compares to about a 90% vaccination rate for over 80s in the US. So China may be more vulnerable um, to a COVID wave here. And there are some hints that China looks to be maybe tweaking it back um, a little bit, at least in, in the near term. And so the the People's Daily, which is the English uh, language newspaper from the Communist uh, Party, um, saying that um, China isn't relaxing its zero COVID fight and is lying flat. Um, so I think that's uh, quite quite important. You actually may see a little bit of near term tightening of restrictions rather than a loosening of restrictions. And that real kind of more widespread loosening of that zero COVID policy probably isn't likely until the Chinese winter is finished and you head into March and April. So a little bit of the reversal of the optimism that we have seen from uh, China over the past uh, three weeks. And that's part of the reason why we've seen uh, metals a little bit lower as well. And just worth mm. noting that uh, in uh, Beijing, um, so they've urged the most populous district there, the residents, uh, to stay at home. Um, so they did that on the weekend and they're extending that to Monday. So that's home to nearly 3.5 million people. And then uh, another city, uh, Chong, uh, Chongqing, and excuse me if I haven't pronounced that right, um, that's a city of 21 million, is also under a de facto lockdown as well. So yeah, um, some signs there that at least China is taking a relatively aggressive approach to um, the COVID outbreak. So, uh, yeah, no change really, is it, in the approach? So one in five. Five-year loan rates from China today, they're not expected to move. And it's going to be uh, it's, it's a fairly quiet day today, isn't it, really? It's fair to say. In fact, a fairly quiet week. Where presumably, we're going to see some pretty thin trade because it's Thanksgiving in the US on Thursday. And there's not a lot happening, apart from, as I said earlier, the RBNZ uh, rate decision on Wednesday. We get global PMIs middle of the week as well. So on the RBNZ, just very quickly, uh, it, it seems to be... 75 basis points seems to be what everyone's betting on, which would bring it up to four and a quarter percent. Do you think that's going to happen? Uh, I think it's going to be a, a fair much a coin flip between uh, 50 or 75. Our colleagues at BNZ are going for 75 basis points, but not with a very, very strong conviction at all. Um, and I think what will be uh, interesting is uh, the NPS, which is published at, at the same time, and whether that still um, 
has a peak in the official cash rate of something in the top half of, of, of the falls there. Um, so as you're saying, a relatively quite weak, but also um, what else is also coming out are the FOMC minutes on Wednesday. Um, so I think they'll be looked at quite, quite closely, just given uh, the amount of uh, Fed talk out there. And also just the pushback in terms of uh, the market's pricing of rate cuts in uh, 23, which um, you'll mm. have to be be saying is probably one support for equity markets at, at the moment. Right. And uh, look, Philip Lowe is talking tomorrow as well. That's going to be interesting, but we can we can talk about that tomorrow morning. He's giving his talk on price stability, the supply side and prosperity. He's got answers to all of that, but uh, we'll talk about that in the morning. We'll leave it there for now. It is going to be quiet, isn't it? But we'll make the most out of it while we can. Uh, we'll catch you very soon. Thanks, Tapas. Cheers. Thanks, Phil. And that is the morning call for this Monday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for now. I'm back again tomorrow morning. Enjoy your Monday. See you then.